This podcast is brought to you by Iman Publishing, the proud publisher of the Criminal Law Series. Welcome to the Lawyer's Lounge, a criminal law-focused podcast. Wherever you are, whenever you are, the Lawyer's Lounge is always open. Come on in. Hey, Lisa told me to tell you this. We are not your lawyer. The Lawyer's Lounge is an entertainment podcast and is not legal advice. We're so excited to bring you a bonus episode today, which is part two of the COVID diary Lisa and I recorded two weeks ago now. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Look, I'm reluctant to uh, criticize or call attention to really anyone uh, right now, but I think the the thing that keeps crossing my mind about um, you going into court, Lisa, and my my friends at the Crown's office and, and members of the judiciary is um, just like, how well are these buildings being cleaned and serviced? Um, you know, that's been a concern of mine before this crisis hit. Um, I, I don't know if you have any perspective on that. Yeah, I, I have to say this is something that, again, being part of the CLA's management, uh, I guess, we've been having these conversations on daily phone calls because it is something that we don't take lightly. I mean, we're putting people, or obviously people are being put at a higher risk if they go into the courthouses just because of the number of bodies passing through them each day. Um, and some courthouses, I know the CLA, for example, said, no, we're not doing it anymore. Uh, Brampton is an example of that. One of the judges in Brampton did some sleuthing and took some photographs and just found the courthouse to be wildly non-compliant with the standards the government has suggested for cleanliness. I can tell you, I've been carrying Lysol wipes and like massaging them like talismans all day when I'm in the courthouse. I wiped down a touch screen at College Park and it came back black. So. You know, it's, these are not clean environments, as you know. Um, I think part of why the CLA kept volunteers in for as long as we did was because we got assurances that they were going to start, the OCJ in particular was going to start minimizing bodies in the courthouse. So on March 16th, there were way too many people there. Mm-hmm. By Monday, March 23rd, um, way fewer people are coming through. They had improved a lot of their cleaning routines we felt like things were getting better, but you know, I think that's, I think your concern is entirely right. And crown attorneys are starting to get very frustrated and, and feel very unsafe. I know people that have similarly immunocompromised family members and they just feel like it's unreasonable to be asked to come into an environment like a courthouse. And I get that. Um, I think, I think everyone's got to make their own decision. And my, and my expectation is that we're going to be, to a fully remote system in the coming days. And I hope that that will apply to Crown attorneys as well. I I worry a little bit about court staff more than anybody else, because in some ways everything else can be done remotely except for the hands-on work that court staff do. And yeah. I just, I, I don't want to see them being the only ones stuck in the courtroom, um, especially because, yeah, they're, they're frontline workers, and I just think it's it's an unfair risk to place upon their shoulders. So I think everyone's working to get everybody out of the courthouse. It's just taken a lot longer than some of us had hoped uh, because of the realities right. of our paper-based system. So hopefully we'll all be out of there soon. And um, how are – you're interacting with a lot of people in custody uh, on remand um, in the last few days. How are people in custody coping? 
I think that jail is a really bad place to be right now. I mean, worse than usual. In a, most facilities seem to be on lockdown a lot of the time. So people are, are stuck in their, their cells, you know, 23 hours a day. Mm. And that's obviously, I mean, leaving aside all of the pandemic concerns, we know from all of the research that that is physically and mentally uh, incredibly damaging. But you add to that the fact that, you know, jails are gossipy places. Um, rumors fly around like wildfire. And I think a lot of people there are really scared. They're scared because they can't, there's limited access to phones when you're locked down. So you can't call your loved ones. You can't call your lawyers. You're not sure what's going on. And you're told there's a really dangerous virus going around and you can't do anything to protect yourself because you're fully in the custody of the state. So a lot of people I've talked to have been very eager to get out of jail by any means necessary. Um, and they've been frustrated uh, when they've had their access to the outside world curtailed. But luckily, I think all justice stakeholders have recognized that the less people in jail, the better. And so we're getting people out and that is the best solution we can offer, I think. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know what to do though, because I also at the same point, like I get, if I'm a jail guard, do you want to go to Toronto South Detention Center tomorrow when you know that there's been a presumptive case there? I mean, I wouldn't want to go to work there. And, but if they have staffing shortages, they can't provide appropriate services to people on the ranges. So it's, I think it's an understandable but really hard problem. And I don't want to see vulnerable accused being the ones that bear the brunt of it. Right. Right. Maybe we shouldn't just jail people at all. Right. Well, uh, I think that the abolitionists uh, should be uh, taking note of the the opportunity to um, raise the argument again. Um, uh, the absurdity of of the use of of this form of punishment, I think, comes into sharp focus uh, at moments like like these. Yeah, especially with people who. Are, are still, I mean, 70% of the remand population is awaiting trial in Ontario is the stat that I've always been quoted. I have, you know, when you see people that you know from your practice, you know that person is not going to get a lengthy custodial sentence. It just becomes inexcusable that we're detaining people for longer than they would potentially be sentenced if they take this to trial. So I think we need to rethink a lot of our justice policy, but and hopefully this, will, hopefully this will push us in the right direction. I mean, a lot of us have said the one tiny silver lining to this horrible situation is we have done five years of justice modernization in a week. And hopefully some of the policies that people are employing, a reduction of the use of sureties, you know, greater tendency towards release, some of those things will stick and we'll see that happening even after this crisis is over. Um, but, you know, that's, that's a lot about jails and the stuff I've been doing. Um, how are you managing with having to move your busy practice into your, right now, uh, bedroom? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, can't, I can't complain. I, I uh, have been doing everything I can to serve my clients uh, remotely um, and to support um, and, and help manage my law firm um, and that's come with challenges but they're nothing like the ones that you've been facing um, along with our colleagues um, from the criminal lawyers association and i i just you know i don't want to get emotional here um, but i really commend the work that you've been doing and and i know that i speak for um, all of our members across the province that we appreciate 
you so much and we're so grateful that you've stepped up um, and that you're serving the administration of justice in the way that you have been. Well, thank you. And I know that means a lot to all the volunteers who have, you know, <laughs> been doing a lot for free the past little while. On a lighter note, I had a call with my accountant just before this and she said to me, <laughs> she said to me, hey, you haven't uploaded any of a of your bills or expenses or anything <laughs> since March 16th. And I said, well, it's uh, because I haven't done any billable work since March 16th. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> it, it, we're going to have some trying times ahead. I mean, yeah. I always thought that, that our business was recession proof. Um, I was wrong. I know, uh, right? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it does throw one into a bit of an existential crisis. What does a trial lawyer do uh, without a courthouse to go to? Um, but I, I think that we're getting through it um, the way we always do, right? Through community and uh, collegiality and teamwork. And, um, you know, it is, does really fucking suck though, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I just, I hope, um... I hope that people take a long view of this, especially the articling students and associates, that people end up coming through this okay, because you obviously have heard anecdotally of some people losing their jobs. I'm hoping that those are temporary job losses, but uh, you know, I do think our practices are going to be very busy come June, um, yep. when the entire justice system resumes over a period of one week in the month of, I guess, late May, early June in Ontario. Uh, yeah. So, you know, buckle up. I hope you didn't have any summer vacation plans. I don't think anyone does any longer. No, I don't think so. Well, I was supposed to be in Portugal right now, so I'm instead in my lovely messy home office staring at <laughs> my weird neighbor across the street. So, you know, the best laid plans. Well, thank you, Lisa. Um, we'll talk again soon and, uh, and stay safe. Yeah, you too. Bye, Danielle. Learn everything you need to know about drug-related offenses with Prosecuting and Defending Drug Cases, Volume 11 in Iman's Criminal Law Series. This practical resource explores the different types of drug offenses, including possession, trafficking, importing, exporting, and production, as well as drug distribution conspiracy and criminal organization offenses. All topics are addressed from both the prosecution and defense perspective with insights from authors Nathan Gorham and Brianna Vanderbeek, both defense, and Jeremy Streeter, a crown. For more information and to order today, please visit iman.ca slash drug cases. For our listeners, Iman is offering 10% off. Just visit iman.ca slash drug cases and enter code lawyers lounge at checkout. The Lawyer's Lounge is produced, engineered, and edited by Alex Ross of Never Sleeps Network. Directed and published by Danan Hawes. And marketing by Jordan Bloom. My name is Paul Emond. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lawyer's Lounge. We at Iman Publishing are committed to providing best-in-class criminal law content, including our award-winning criminal law series, edited by Brian Greenspan and Justice Rondinelli, new initiatives like the Lawyer's Lounge podcast, as well as our Iman exam prep resources and criminal law casebooks for law students. <laughs>